honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm. Table, cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm. Table, pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm. Table, bring it to Tennessee Farm. Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who prepare, produce, and preserve our regional foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. And singing our theme song was East Tennessee's own. Emmy Sunshine from Madisonville, Tennessee. I've been looking through the pantry, and this morning we're setting the table with a good one from our archives on country ham with Alan Benton of Madisonville, Tennessee. Just how did a self-described hillbilly from Virginia get to be such a big deal in the world of food? Plus, Fred Sausman of Johnson City shares Alan Benton's recipe for making red-eyed gravy from the pan drippings of country ham. I've got a big list of farming, food, and agriculturally relevant events that are going on in our area, and a bluegrass gospel number from Jeff Barbara and Sarah Perkle of Blount County, Tennessee. It is such an honor and a privilege to have your good company here today at our Tennessee table. I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Country ham, also known by the sort of high-dollar Italian word for the same thing, prosciutto, is what we're going to chew on today. And the person in our immediate area who's churning out some of the best in the world is right down the road from us in Madisonville, Tennessee. I'm talking about Alan Benton of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams. Alan has become a really famous producer in the food world. I'm going to share with you Alan himself talking about his struggles and discovery of breaking into the fine dining world and how grateful he is for his success in no small part to the people who've helped him along the way. We're really proud of Alan in this area of East Tennessee and how his product makes Tennessee proud. So let's join him right now and hear his prosciutto story. to ask you about prosciutto. Yours is every bit as good, if not better, as these high-dollar European Italian prosciuttos. So well, what, what are you doing over here in East Tennessee, Alan, with your prosciutto? Amy, <laughs> when I first heard of prosciutto, I hadn't been in the country hound business long, and I would get a few native European customers in. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first one that I ever heard. I had some native Spaniards. They lived in Miami. They weren't Cubans, they were Spaniards. Mm-hmm. They came with their family and their children are still customers of mine 41 years later. They oh. still come here. 
I treasure having them here. They're an incredible family. But uh, they still live in Miami, and uh, they pulled up in my parking lot in a motorhome, and uh, it was a man, wife, and their children. And they purchased some hams, went out, and they stayed in our parking lot for about an hour or more. And they finally came back in, and they told us that they'd been eating that ham, and it made incredible serrano. Well, I didn't know what serrano was. I thought it must be some kind of a dish they're cooking. I had no clue what they were talking about. And, but they said they were slicing it paper thin and eating it just like it was. And I, I'd never heard of that. Of course, I'm, I was prone, at, even at that time, to slice bites of it and to, and to eat it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd ha- later I'd have people come in and say, this stuff makes incredible prosciutto. Well, I was just convinced that that was some kind of a pasta dish. <laughs> I was very, very backwards, had no clue. I'd never traveled and had no clue what prosciutto was. I think that's the majority but, of us. Well, but finally, mm-hmm. I can remember my children were young enough till they were all three in car seats in the back of my car. My wife and I had, were visiting a fresh market there in Knoxville. And I passed by the meat case and I saw that word. P-R-O-S-C-I-U-T-T-O as I passed by that meat case. And I took through three steps and it hit me. I thought, what was that? Could that be that stuff that these people keep talking about? So I backed up and I asked the fellow behind the case. I said, what is that? He said, that is prosciutto. I said, well, I'd like to buy some. And he said, do you want domestic or imported? And I, I was so backward, I didn't have a clue what domestic meant at that time, what he was even talking about. I thought, mm-hmm. I said, well, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, domestic is $13.99 a pound, and, and imported is $21.99 a pound. And I said, well, I certainly want domestic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, whatever this was, I wanted to try it. And I watched him shave what appeared to be a country ham. Took it out to the car and we got there. My wife handed the little paper back and said, you kids want to try this? So they handed the paper back up and it was all gone, Amy. We just laughed. I literally did a U-turn in the parking lot, went back in and told that fellow I wanted to buy a half pound of the imported. And I bought a half pound. I came out to the car and I tasted it. I said, huh. I said, my aged ham is better than that. My wife, Sharon, said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I said, that's nothing but country ham. And I said, I'm telling you, mine is better. I wouldn't let anybody taste it. I came back here, came back out to my business. I sliced up a little bit of my 12 or, I, I can't remember, I think it was actually about an 18 or 20 month ham. Took it home, put it side by side, and we t- I tasted it. And I said, mine is better. Well, my wife Sharon was a little skeptical, but she tasted both. And she said, huh, yours is better. I still didn't have a clue that I might market that, Amy. Uh, but we started using it at my house. I started trying to do a little research. How do you use this prosciutto? What do you do with it? And it became one of my three children's favorite snacks. And I kept some, you know, usually in the fridge for them, and they would snack on it. Their friends would come over, and they'd all snack on it. And when my oldest started to college at Maryville College, uh, she called me, she had taken back six or eight packs of it. It didn't have to be refrigerated, it's pretty shelf stable. And she'd taken it back to her dorm room. 
Well, about two or three days, she calls me. She said, Dad, she said, the kids in my dorm have flipped out over this stuff. She said, you need to be selling it. I said, well, Suzanne, there's no way that people are going to buy that stuff. She kept on, and she made me promise that I would try to slice one up and sell it. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to buy this stuff. But the next morning, I came to work, and I sliced one up and packaged it into four-ounce packs. And I sold it all that day, Amy, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, I can't believe people will buy this. So I started selling some of it, just sliced thin like a prosciutto there in my uh, sales ring. And uh, had no clue that it would be, you know, such a big deal for us now. We sell quite a bit of it. People come in and uh, we don't, it's really, we don't call it prosciutto. We just call it country M, which it is to me. Uh, I had a friend, he was a, one of my best friends I've ever had, I loved him like a family. Uh, he was a large fellow. Uh, his name was Eddie Griffith, and such a, an incredible fellow. And he was sitting on my bench in his bibbed overalls, and I talked about this to somebody that came in from some other part of the country. They were all enthralled about it. He looked at me and said, huh, talk like you know all about that stuff. He said, I know how you were raised. He said, you never ate that in your life. <laughs> I said, well, now, Eddie, you're wrong. I said, I've eaten that since I was a little boy. He said, Psh. I said, well, I did. I said, we just didn't call it prosciutto. We called it ham meat. <laughs> and my grandparents, we'd go out to the old smokehouse with a knife and shave a little off and get that. And they would give us a treat of that cured pork like that from time to time. And, uh, it, it's, I'm lucky that the rest of the world has discovered I, for a long time, I fought a battle trying to get our name out there because people felt like if you wanted quality dry cured ham, it had to be imported. Mm -hmm. And uh, Amy, it was a it was a battle. In fact, a fellow, one of my customers in Philadelphia is called De Bruno Brothers. The buyer there, I ran into him in Oxford, Mississippi, and he said, "I want to buy this to sell through my case." And some stuff. Well, about three or four weeks goes by, and he called me, and he said, you know, I had to learn how to sell this stuff. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, people would come in and ask for prosciutto, and I said, i got something I want you to try, this great ham from Tennessee. And he said, they just turned their nose up, no, I want to import it. And he said he finally thought, what am I going to do to get them broken from this habit? And he said they came, they'd come in and he'd say, I have something I want you to try. And he'd shave some up and let them try it. And they'd say, oh my, what is that? He said, only then would I tell them that it was a product from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, I still do business with them to this day. Uh, uh, another place there in Philadelphia that's a good customer of ours is called Julius Silver. We sell them a lot of stuff today. They're a distributor there in Philadelphia, do a good job for us. Uh, but. I had no clue that there was a market for such a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. now chefs have finally figured out that they can buy American-made country hams with a lot of age on it, and they are used very nicely just like you would a European ham. And mm -hmm. uh, we owe a lot of our success, quite honestly, to the talent of these chefs and the ingenuity that they bring. Uh, because they're the ones that got us the attention. I'm just mm -hmm. a hillbilly making ham and bacon. Uh, <laughs> Amy, all I'm doing is what all of us here in this part of the country were doing in the backyard, and I'm certainly doing it no better than my grandparents or most of their neighbors did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm so thankful that 
our home state has sort of adopted us. Uh, for a long time, we were much better known in places like New York or New Orleans or Napa Valley. Yes. And in the last five or six years, it seems like our home state has sort of adopted our products too. And I couldn't be prouder because if people in Tennessee say this is good, they know what it's supposed to be like, then that's the ultimate compliment for it us is. for sure. It absolutely is. And you're probably the most self-effacing person. You don't toot your own horn, but uh, it's it's part of your charm, Alan, that you're not conceited. Well, and it's, it's really a pleasure to just know you and talk with you and see what you're doing. And Amy, I'm humble for a reason. What I'm doing, I just read that the founder of Chick-fil-A died and they, he was yes. being interviewed a couple of years ago and they mm-hmm. talked to him about what he had done and what he created. And he smiled and looked at him and he said, look, what I do is not hard. He said, it's easy. If it weren't, he says he couldn't have done it. That's the way I look at what I'm doing. I'm doing this no better than most of the, the, my fellow neighbors in this area have done. And uh, I'm very fortunate. I, like I said, I owe a debt of gratitude to every chef in the country mm-hmm. uh, that's used our products. It all started mm-hmm. with um, Blackberry Farm, our neighbor nearby. Yes. Uh, I couldn't repay the chef who came there named John Fleer. If I tried, I couldn't repay Sam Bell and his family. Mm-hmm. If I tried, I owe them a debt of gratitude that's mm-hmm. mighty big. He opened my eyes as to ways that my products could be used. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember the first time they invited me up to have a meal at Blackberry Farm to show me what they were doing with the product. And I can truthfully tell you this, I shouldn't tell it, but I will. It was fall of the year and I sometimes don't eat or eat very little. I just work right on it. We were really busy and Mm-hmm. I was looking forward to that dinner. I went up, and they brought out a large shrimp wrapped in my prosciutto. Yum. And I looked at it, and I thought that was the main course. And I thought, oh, my, I wished I'd stopped and had a hamburger on the way up. I'm going to starve. <laughs> that's, a true, that's a true story. <laughs> that's man. funny. It's a true story. But, Hi there. But after about seven courses and all that they had, it literally, that one meal, I would have to tell you, pretty much changed my world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was on my way to becoming a foodie without really knowing it. Uh, It changed the way that I thought about food and that I looked at food. And quite honestly, after eating that kind of cuisine, it was hard to go back uh, to being my old self without thinking about it because it's pretty exceptional. Not bad. Absolutely. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and you've just heard an interview with Alan Benton of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Madisonville, Tennessee. And now I'd like to share with you a list of events presented by area nonprofit groups that are food, farming, or agriculturally related. The Nourish Knoxville Winter's Market will take place today at the Central United Methodist Church in Knoxville from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. And this market will continue at that location until April 21st. The CAC Beardsley Community Farm has put out a call for scholarship sponsorships to send a child to the upcoming Beardsley Farm Camp, which takes place June 4th through 8th. The goal of the farm is to host a camp that is inclusive to all children of all socioeconomic levels. Also, there will be a community egg hunt at Beardsley Community Farm on Saturday, 
March 31st from 1 until 3 p.m. This is a free event for kids ages 2 to 10, and there will be age-specific egg hunting zones. Dr. Andrea Ludwig, Associate Professor of Ecological Engineering in the Biosystems Engineering and Soil Department at the University of Tennessee, will present a class and a workshop on rain gardens for Tennessee. This class and workshop will focus on building a rain garden on Monday, April 9th from 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Registration is required and lunch for participants in the work session will be provided by the UT Arboretum Society. And there is pre-registration by April 6th. And at the UT Arboretum in Oak Ridge, they will also present a lecture by Mark Post entitled, It's Not Dirt, It's Soil, Exploring the Activity of Life Underground. What makes a healthy soil and what is going on all around your plant's roots? Mac Post will speak about the amazing activity in life underground and what you can do to protect and enrich your soil. This free program starts at 6.30 on Thursday, April 19th at the UT Arboretum in Oak Ridge. This is a kid-friendly event. There is no cost to attend and there is no pre-registration. Century Harvest Farms Foundation and Last Days of Autumn are working together to sponsor a row of fresh fruits and vegetables that will help feed 600 people annually. Today, they are hosting the Planting Hope Fundraiser at Last Days of Autumn in Knoxville between the hours of 3 to 7. Century Harvest Farms, a sustainable organic farming nonprofit, will collect donations for the crops and host a public forum at the event. They'll provide information on their sustainable farming practices, social mission, and how you can help end food insecurity. Details by Facebook by searching for Century Harvest Farm Foundation. There is no charge for this event and there is no pre-registration. Prepping your soil for success. There will be a class today with Master Gardeners Barb O'Neill and Andy Merringer to learn how to collect and submit a soil sample, how to read the soil test report, and then how to amend your soil for your upcoming garden. This event occurs today from the hours of 11 until 12 noon at Carnes Senior Center in Knoxville. There's no charge for this event and there is no pre-registration. And as always, for links and information to all my guests and events that I just mentioned, you can find all of that in one location at TennesseeFarmTable.com under the link that says listen to the show. And now let's hear from our buddy Fred Saussman from Johnson City and hear this recipe he got from Alan Benton on Red Eye Gravy. It may be the world's simplest gravy. The most elemental version involves two ingredients and no tricky thickening. Water and what's left in a black iron skillet after country ham is fried, are all it takes to make red-eye gravy. No salt, no seasoning, no herbs, just leavings and liquid, and maybe a little leftover coffee. Writer and food historian John Edgerton called red-eye gravy a divine elixir. Researching red-eye yields some questionable stories about the name of the dish, Andrew Jackson's alleged observation 
about the red eyes of a hungover cook are among them. Like a lot of our food history, though, we'll probably never know who named Red Eye Gravy. Odds are the moniker caught on because of the rich color that results when country ham, cured the right way for many months, meets hot black iron. Unlike many gravy recipes, there's not a speck of flour in Red Eye. Cooks don't expect it to be thick, and they know in the bowl on the table it will separate into two-toned layers. Grease and water don't mix. The simplicity of red-eye gravy reflects its origins in poverty. Other than the ham itself, the monetary investment is negligible. And with its highly concentrated flavor, a little red-eye gravy goes a long way. Today's recipe is a bit of a different take on red-eye, it was given to me by my friend Alan Benton, owner of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Madisonville, Tennessee. You pour a quarter cup of brewed coffee into an iron skillet and sprinkle in one tablespoon of brown sugar. On medium heat, fry two or three slices of country ham for about two or three minutes per side. Remove the ham and add a third cup more coffee to the skillet. Increase the heat to medium-high and stir, loosening the browned particles from the bottom of the skillet. Reduce the liquid to the point where you added the second measurement of coffee. Serve your red-eye gravy over biscuits or grits. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman. And now it's time for the gospel portion of our radio broadcast. We like to call this our daily bread. And here are two of the most talented singers and songwriters that I've ever met. They are from East Tennessee, Sarah Perkle and Jeff Barbara. How about if we hear their song, I Thank the Friends Who Pray for Me. When I was burdened down with care My load it seemed I could not bear My ship was almost lost at sea Oh, I thank the friends who prayed for me I thank the friends, thank the friends who, prayed for me. who prayed for me Was through their prayers, through their prayers God, God set me free When I reach heaven, when I, reach heaven, heaven, I, will, say, heaven I will say I thank the friends small boat was tossing o'er they took my case to heaven's door they knew i'd soon be lost at sea i thank the friends who prayed for me i thank the friends, thank the friends who, prayed for me. who prayed for me was through their prayers, through their prayers god, god set me free Pray for me. 
were heard. Oh, praise the Lord, He sanctifies. Believe His word. My heart was strangely warmed that day. Oh, I thank the friends who prayed for me. I thank the friends who prayed for me. Was through their prayers, God set me free. Thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. Hope you can join us again right back here next Saturday at 9 a.m. on the radio dial at WDVX.com out in Knoxville or anytime on our podcast, TennesseeFarmTable.com. Our theme song was written by myself and sung, arranged, and performed by Emmy Sunshine of East Tennessee. More information about Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. That is spelled T-H-E-E-M-I Sunshine.com. We hope you'll reach out and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and also our podcast on TennesseeFarmTable.com. And please tell your friends about us. We want to say thank you to WDVX Radio out of Knoxville, Tennessee. They are a true community-supported radio station that does not receive funding from universities or government agencies. The community and businesses support WDVX. Through an agreement with WDVX, they are our media partner, and the Tennessee Farm Table Show is broadcast on that station every Saturday at 9 a.m. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.